The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently, we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who follow it. my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, Mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmony sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph Lord, in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And good day, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, SonsOfLibertyRadio.com, and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com and you'll see two videos at the top of the screen there. The one on the left side of the page is Bradley's show from the previous day, so if you missed that and you'd like to check that out, you can do so up until 3 p.m. Eastern today, at which time he'll be live in that little area right there. He'll be live from Michigan. Uh, they are doing events there all week in Michigan, every night in a different county. And uh, if you want to know where they're going to be, there's Bradley's schedule. That's a link at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. Click on that and it'll show you. Just scroll, scroll down and show you where they're going to be tonight, tomorrow night, the next night, all the way through Saturday night. Uh, if you're interested in catching 
Bradley, and I think Matt Trujella is also speaking there with him. And if you don't know who Matt is, Matt has been on the show several times. He's the author of the book, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate. He's had a lot of influence with a lot of uh, legislators around the country with regard to that and their civic duty before God to do. So you can check that out then. Otherwise, he'll be there in that little space on the left, 3 p.m. Eastern today. On the right side is where we're at. Click on the play button, blow it up whatever device you've got, and then look for the Rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner. And a click on that. It'll take you over to Rumble. You can join us in the chat. We've got a lot of friends over there this morning. Great to see you guys. And... Um, <clears throat> You can uh, enter the chat there with us there. We are also streaming live to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. That's our channel. Please subscribe. Help us build that channel up. And then also over at BeforeIt'sNews.com, they've given us a spot right there on the top of the page, and we appreciate that very much. While you're at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, sign up for our email newsletter. It's right up under where we're streaming live. You get that once a day. It goes out between 7 and 8 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, then if you want our ministry email, you want to know what we're doing each week. Uh, exclusive content for that. Go to sonsoflibertyradio.com. You can sign up for that right on the front page. That goes out on Saturday. Uh, you'll get pictures. You'll get information about where we've been, what we've been doing as far as teaching our Christian constitutional heritage across the United States. And then finally, if you would like to help us stay out there doing what we're doing on the internet, radio, and among the people, there's a donate button at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can click on that and make a one-time donation, or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty. And uh, we appreciate you guys' support and helping keeping us out there. Um, there were some questions yesterday, a couple of questions yesterday about what we talked about, about the Federal Reserve and lawless money and this, that, and the other. It says, are we using it? You know, then are we somehow sinning doing that? I don't know. I don't know. This is how we conduct ourselves in there. Could it be? Yeah, it could be. And we need to right the wrong in that in making lawful money instead of using lawless money. Uh, you do that, you're going to cut out a lot of the unsavory things that we've seen come out of our own government. And uh, plus the things that come out just from people in general. So uh, I don't know. I'll have to think on that a little bit further. But yeah, I, this, I want, you know, this system, the way it is, everything is driven by the lawless money. And because we've abandoned what the Constitution said about money, which was gold and silver for all payments of debts in the states, well, then we went with fiat currency, which is currency by order, not by law. Um, then now we're opening up everything else. We open up giving money to pharmaceuticals we, companies. We open it up giving it to NGOs. We open it up giving, uh, sending our boys off to unconstitutional wars. All this kind of stuff is the result of lawless money. I mean, it really is. So in any case, that's just a brief answer. I don't know if I fully answered it for you, but I, I do believe that, you know, we're, we're in the world, not of it. But at the same time, God warns us about those kinds of things. Anyway, with that said, we have a special guest on. You know, I had a couple of conversations. One was with Dr. Lee Merritt the other day, and she said, you, you need to have uh, Dr. Dr. Kevin Stillwagon uh, on. And so um, I said, okay, what's what's the deal with with uh, Kevin? And uh, she told me that uh, you know he's a former pilot, uh, he was a chiropractor and such. In fact, let me just give you this because we we did get him on today. He was kind enough and gracious enough to come on early this morning. But uh, Doctor Stillwagon was a license was licensed as a chiropractor in Florida and Pennsylvania in 1980. He self published a book uh, in 1984 on medical freedom and the dangers of vaccines. He became an airline pilot in 1987 and was forced to retire in 2020 because he refused to wear a face mask. Good for you. 
He then began to speak out against mandatory masks and vaccines at school boards, county commissioner meetings, and freedom rallies. He has been a guest on podcasts and radio shows, some of which are available to see on rumble.com forward slash Kevin Stillwagon. And we'll have that link up so you can subscribe to his channel a little bit later on when we archive the show at sonsoflibertymedia.com. He publishes on drkevinstillwagon.substack.com. He has an online course on immunity available at odem, O-D-E-M, dot cloud forward slash EO forward slash IRH. And we'll have those up uh, during the show so we can show you if you want to write them down i'll drop them in the chat too and we'll have them in the archive but it's my privilege to welcome to the sons of liberty uh, dr kevin stillwagon good morning man good morning tim thanks for having me on today i really appreciate it it's great to talk to you today yeah absolutely it's great to have you on and you know what i was telling you just before the show you've got a unique perspective because you're both a chiropractor and you're a former pilot so in speaking to this issue last week i did a show where we highlighted some of these pilots, the flight attendants who were dying suddenly, collapsing, doing all this. And for the most part, the Mockingbird media doesn't cover it. You kind of get an affiliate or a local outlet that'll cover it. It's kind of like a blip if you even get that. And, right. But they don't want to focus on this. So tell us, for, let's start Let's start off at the, at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, some of the work you did with uh, in chiropractic. Uh, work, and then also some of your time as a pilot and who you were with. Okay. Yeah. So um, I've actually been a pilot for 50 years. I started flying at the age of 15. I always wanted to be a pilot. And my father was a chiropractor and he wanted me to uh, be a chiropractor and follow along in his footsteps. And so uh, he knew I wanted to be a pilot. And so he started taking flying lessons Um when he was older, probably in his mid fifties. And uh, of course I was 15. So we learned to fly together, uh, which was uh, a good opportunity for a lot of father and son bonding. We actually got our uh, instrument ratings on the same day and our commercial ratings on the same day. Uh, but, you know, long story short, I did decide to uh, go to chiropractic college and follow along in his footsteps. Uh, we actually went to to the same college. It was Palmer College of Chiropractic out in Davenport, Iowa. Uh, he had graduated as valedictorian of his class in 1955, and I graduated valedictorian of my class in 1980. And uh, while I was at chiropractic college, I did a lot of extracurricular studies on uh, the immune system and uh, also the dangers of vaccines. And the reason I had done that is because I had never been vaccinated in my life ever for anything, including smallpox. So I wanted to become an expert on the immune system, uh, which I did. I consider myself to be an expert. And uh, what, what a lot of people don't understand is, you know, chiropractors and medical doctors, we study uh, the, same, uh, the same anatomy, the same physiology, and the same diagnosis of disease. And it's very rigorous training. In fact, uh, I actually took a medical state board uh, back in 1978 just to prove that I could pass it. Uh, back in the late 70s, if, if you wanted to pay the fee to take the board exam, you could do that. And so uh, I, along with five of my classmates, I, I rented a small aircraft and flew out to Vermilion, South Dakota. We all took the South Dakota State Board medical exam just to prove that we could pass it. And we did. And so, you know, the difference in uh, allopathic medicine, you know, traditional medical doctor and uh, chiropractors, and I'll, I'll group into the same group as chiropractors, I'll group in there 
uh, you know, naturopaths, homeopaths, and now what are called functional medical doctors. Uh, we're more interested in digging deeper and trying to find what the root cause of the symptoms are and working with that and trying to get uh, the body back to a state of homeostasis, which is health. And allopathic medicine doesn't do that. Their, their main training is to uh, treat the symptom, uh, make the symptom go away, and not uh, work too much with the root cause of the disease. Uh, the problem with that is the, the cause of the problem is still there. And the body will deteriorate over time, and you end up uh, getting yourself into a chronic illness uh, type of situation. And so allopathic medicine has its place, I believe. They're, they're very good uh, treating uh, emergency-type problems. Uh, you know, if a person gets uh, a severe injury, then, yeah, that's, that's the place you want to go. That's where you want to be. Uh, but when it comes to chronic illnesses and uh, long-term symptoms that have been developing over time, then not so much because they're just going to be treating the symptom instead of uh, digging for the root cause. Uh, now, getting back to the immunology idea, uh, most allopathic medical doctors, traditional medical doctors, uh, you know, family medical doctors, even pediatricians, unfortunately, they do not have the training in immunology uh, and vaccines that you think they do. Uh, it's, it's really not much training. It's just a few hours. And unfortunately, they've been spoon-fed the mantra of vaccines are safe and vaccines are effective. And through my research, uh, which has been ongoing for many decades now, uh, I have found that the exact opposite is true. They are absolutely not safe, nor are they effective. And so we can talk about the, the uh, mechanisms of why that is. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's kind of my background, and that's why I am speaking out so loudly on all these platforms today. Yeah, you know, and we... we, um, we, we have had a lot of doctors uh, on the show. We have Kate Shimrani on every Saturday. She joins us every Saturday. And it's very much the naturopathic kind of medicine that they practice, if you if you will. And mm -hmm. it is an issue of dealing with the root cause. Most of the audience knows I had gall I had uh, gallstones, uh, really bad gallbladder attacks. I mean, the, the last one I had was about 12 hours. Uh, I oh, thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't know what it was. And um, yeah. so they put me in the hospital. They're going to cut my gallbladder out. And, you know, if you're having that kind of pain, then they give you all those drugs to kind of alleviate the pain. And you're kind of out of it. You can say you can cut my arm off just as long as I'm not hurting the way I'm hurting. And yeah. and in God's providence, they didn't do it. The lady came in and the surgeon said it's a elective. Uh, and I said, well, is there a way to get rid of these things? Nope, there's no way. You just got to stay away from spicy food and blah, 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 all this stuff. And I go home and I find from Dr. Berg, who's a chiropractor. Uh, mm -hmm. watched all his videos, did, did, took his advice on the kale shakes and other things, and was able to get rid of the gallstones. They haven't had a right. gall uh, attack in years. And so they don't tell you how to deal with the problem. Theirs is either to cut something out or give you a pill. And I'm glad you pointed that out. So when we come to the issue that we're dealing with now, that we've been dealing with for three years, one, we've been told there's a virus, which they've not isolated nor proven to exist. Uh, so yeah, but everybody keeps talking about it. Right. And then they, the, the point is to get you to put a mask on, to get you to social distance, to get you to fib on your neighbor, you know, call in on your neighbor. Oh, they're not wearing a mask. Yeah. Oh, they didn't get a shot, whatever the case may be. 
And then ultimately is is to get you to take the shot. And you've got the political pimps for Big Pharma pushing them. You've got Big Pharma pushing them. You've got the Mockingbird media pushing them because they get 30 to 40 percent of their advertising from that. How can all of those guys be wrong? I'm sure some people go, they're not all lying, are they? The, (laughs) The reality is they are, though, isn't it? Yeah, they're they're dead wrong on their approach to this thing. Uh, any shot called a vaccine has one goal, and that goal is to create what's called an antibody in your bloodstream and in your lymph. And so what you need to understand about antibodies is uh, they're always inside of you. They're in your blood. They're in your lymph. They cannot prevent an infection from happening. They do not have the capability of doing that nor were they ever designed to do that. And all shots called vaccines fall into that category. Childhood shots, flu shots, and the COVID shot. So it's making an antibody that's always inside of you. That antibody cannot stop an infection from happening. It cannot stop a virus from getting in you. It can only react to it once it does. It cannot stop a bacteria from getting in you. It can only react to it once it does. And so the idea of these antibodies is to be in the bloodstream or in the lymph so that whatever it is that gets inside of you, that antibody will be able to react to it, bind to it, block it, so that your experience with the symptoms will be of shorter duration and of less severity. Now that sounds good. That sounds like it should work. And it does work, but only if you get a natural infection. And that's because with a natural infection, whatever it is that gets in you comes through what's called the epithelial barrier. And that is the Uh, the God-given mechanism that separates the inside of you from the outside. And so when that particle or whatever it is, and we can talk more about that, when that comes through that epithelial barrier, your immune system gets to experience the whole thing, all of it, all parts of it, all parts of that particle all of the protein parts, all of the fatty parts, everything, all parts of it, and it will remember every little tiny piece of it, okay? That way, the antibody that is built on the inside of you can recognize all parts of it. That way, if you ever experience it again, your immune system reacts to it so quickly that you don't even know you got infected. You won't get any symptoms at all. And so that is what is called immunity. Immunity means you don't ever get that disease ever again. You don't get the symptoms. You will come in contact with it. We do all the time. You just don't experience the symptoms. Now, the problem with these shots called vaccines, they are making antibodies. That is, that is for, for sure. That's, that's the way your body was designed. Anything that you inject into your body as a foreign protein, your immune system is going to build an antibody against it. So let's just look at the COVID shot, for example. The COVID shot 
is inducing your body to make what's called the spike glycoprotein. That's the part that's on the virus that attaches to cells to get inside of your body. That's the only thing it builds an antibody against. But the problem is that particular part has mutated. It's different now. It doesn't even exist in the real world. And so the antibody that's floating around in these people that keep insisting on getting the shot cannot react to the real thing when it happens. So they're going to continue to get infected. But it's even worse than that because the true protection of infection is not in the antibody. I already explained to you the antibody is only there to react to the infection. The protection of infection is cellular. You have three specialized cells that are guarding that epithelial barrier that are constantly looking for that thing again. And they're looking for all parts of it, all little tiny parts of it. They have fancy names, and we can talk more about them later, but they are what are called uh, natural killer cells and dendritic cells and cytotoxic T cells. And so if you got a natural infection, again, they can remember all parts of that thing. So if it tries to get through again, even if parts of it have been mutated, it will be able to recognize it and stop the infection from happening. But when you get these shots, it creates so many of these uh, proteins, these spike proteins that the shot is inducing your body to make. It creates so many of them that those cells that actually give you the protection of infection, they get retrained. They get retrained to focus only on that one individual part that was injected into you, you see. And so they're guarding that epithelial barrier now, but they, they don't know what, what to look for. They're focusing on the wrong thing. So you have lost that protection of infection. And what the government is trying to convince people is that by getting these injections, that will get us to herd immunity. You've probably heard about you know, that, that sure. word herd yeah, sure. immunity. Yeah, herd immunity can only happen when enough of the population has the ability to not get infected. You see, they're able to resist the infection and the infection does not happen. The only way we'll ever get to herd immunity is if, if enough people have experienced the, the, the thing naturally and they've built up that uh, true protection of infection that is cellular and the, the infection doesn't happen. But if you keep injecting people with these shots, then their immune systems get retrained. They're focused on the wrong thing and the infection continues to happen. And that's exactly uh, why we're in the situation that we are today. If, yep. if we don't stop injecting people, we're never going to get over this thing. It's just going to keep happening over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as, as Kate has said, uh, you know, today's food is tomorrow's cells. That's one of her little slogans she has. And right. if we're honest, most of us are not eating right. The stuff that we get at the grocery store and stuff is not good for us. So it doesn't help build up our immune system at all. We end up yeah. having to take supplements and all kinds of other things for that. Um, but we've gotten a lot. We've got a lot of that information. But you come, you come to this subject we're going to talk about today because you and I talked for just a little bit yesterday. 
And we're on the verge of really expecting a major airline catastrophe. We're, we're seeing little yeah. things all around if we're, if we're willing to look for them. I think I had one or two stories yesterday on, uh, you know, pilots and, and such, but you've been, you've been a chiropractor for over 40 years. You've been a pilot for, or you had been a pilot for, uh, over 30 years. And so when you, when you look at this, tell us a story about what went on with you as to why you had to leave piloting. Uh, and then let's get into what you've been seeing with pilot friends or what you've been seeing in the news or whatever, as far as those who've taken the shot versus those who haven't. Right. Well, you know, I really enjoyed my job as a pilot. It was a it was a great job. I've seen some beautiful things. In fact, the uh, virtual image uh, that's on my screen uh, was taken by me from the cockpit. And so, you know, what a great job I had until it wasn't so great anymore. What happened was I started to see people wearing masks all through the airport, and then they started showing up on airplanes. And so I went into my chief pilots and I said, this, this is going to be a problem. Uh, people are now afraid of, of a virus that they shouldn't even be afraid of. It's a coronavirus. It's in the same family as the common cold. And we're seeing images all over television, uh, you know, 24-7, showing people just dropping dead of this thing. Uh, that's, that's not real. That's not what's happening. I've, I've been through, you know, uh, epidemics like this many, many times. And, and what you're seeing is not real. And they're, they're trying to scare the pants off of people. And so I'm, a, I'm concerned that the airlines are going to start forcing masks on passengers because uh, the edict is probably going to come down from the CDC that the, the mask is going to somehow stop the, the, the prevention of this thing and flatten the curve. And you've, you've heard all of the uh, all of the phrases that they use. But I explained to them that, that this is not possible. I've studied uh, epidemiology. I know how transmission of disease works. And forcing these masks on people is not going to do anything to stop this. And I showed them the box that the masks come in. And it clearly says on the box that these masks do not stop the spread of any el air airborne illness, including, yep. you know, COVID. And so, I said, what you're going to be doing is you're, you're going to be forcing people to wear masks that should not be wearing masks. You're, you're going to be basically practicing medicine without a license. And they said, oh, no, no, it's just, it's just a mask. No, it's not. It's a medical device that restricts airflow. That's and right. I said, you're going to be putting these things on people that should never wear them. People with COPD, people with emphysema, people with asthma, children. Uh, that are having autistic problems, uh, people that have claustrophobia. This is a really, really bad idea. And I said, plus, you're, you're making a hypoxic condition, which is, you know, lack of proper oxygen getting to your body. You're putting a hypoxic condition on top of a hypoxic condition. You know, a lot of people understand that an aircraft is pressurized, and it is, but you know, the aluminum tube that you're flying through the atmosphere in, some of those things get old and leaky. And, you know, the, the cabin altitude uh, flying in an aircraft from coast to coast can be anywhere from 5,000 to 8,000 feet, uh, feet above sea level. So you're already hypoxic. And now you're going to force something to make uh, the situation even worse. So this is not a good idea. 
And I said, then you're going to start separating people on the airplane. You're going to start, you know, blocking seats so that people can be, you know, separated a few feet apart from each other, uh, thinking that it's going to stop the transmission. He said, that, that's not how this works. It's not how this works at all. I said, in fact, when people wear a mask, they're going to be constantly fiddling with it. They're going to be popping it on their face and pushing it around. And every time you do that, you're going to be aerosolizing those virus particles that get trapped and bacteria particles. And, you know, certainly the mask does trap the droplets. That's, that's absolutely for sure. We know that happens, but it's the aerosolized particles that are the problem. So when you constantly pop and pull and tug at that thing, you're going to aerosolize the particles. Now they become basically weightless. They can float in a room for days and they can travel miles, not six feet. And those are the ones that are going to be a problem for people because they get through the mask and around the gaps in the mask, uh, past the turbinates in your nose that are supposed to be able to trap the droplets. Now the particles aerosolize and go right past those deep into the lungs. And this can be a problem for people that are susceptible. You see, not everybody that comes in contact with this thing is going to have a problem. It's only the people that are susceptible. So you're actually making the problem worse by forcing these masks on people. And I said, I'll take it one step further. You're going to probably force pilots to wear these things. And you've never tested it for safety. You've never tested to see how it could affect a pilot's reaction time. Because we know that it builds up carbon dioxide in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the mask. And you're breathing carbon dioxide now instead of, you know, the, the better oxygen that your body needs. That could affect pilots' reaction time. It could affect their ability to think, maybe give them brain fog. You really need to test this, especially at altitude. And you haven't done any of that. So they said, well, you know, Doc, you're probably right. And we believe everything that you said, but you still have to wear the mask. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And they said, well, you have to because uh, corporate management has decided and you know, made, made the, uh, and they know best for your health. Don't they, Kevin? Right. And then they said, it's not, it's not for health. It's, it's for optics is what they told me. They, they said, we, we think that our passengers would feel better if they saw all of the employees of, of the airline wearing the same mask. And I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not going to do that. He said, well, you can't work here anymore. And, uh, I said, all right, then I won't. And uh, I dropped all of my trips. I went on unpaid leave until the, uh, the early, early retirement program kicked in. Um, so that, that was the end of my career. I, I was willing to walk away from it. And they actually said, you know, you're, gonna, you're throwing away, uh, you know, the most coveted career, <laughs> a major airline pilot. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that because... Uh, I have I have my principles. Yeah, and and, and I, can I you that. can you can you tell people what airline that was with? Yeah, that was with Delta Airlines. So yeah. you know, I I have thirty three years of experience in the airline industry, thirty three mm -hmm. years, and twenty one years as a captain for Delta Airlines. And so you know, I I've seen a lot of things happen over the years. I, I know about airline safety. And, you know, airline safety is at risk right now. It's at serious, serious risk. 
because of the subclinical myocarditis issue that has happened after the shot. And we can talk about why that is. And, you know, that's, that's kind of my thing. Um, I'm more interested in explaining to people why things are the way they are, not necessarily what they are. I mean, anybody can, can read the, read the paper or read the news and see that, you know, pilots, uh, are, are now having, uh, you know, incapacitation in the cockpit and aircraft are diverting. But I think it's important to, for people to understand why this is happening. Yeah, I think it's important to understand that as well. And with that said, with all that you're seeing, okay, you you left the job just because they wanted you to wear a mask. And the interesting right. thing is, is they're telling you, yeah, we know all this is right, but you're going to have to do it anyway. Right. I mean, to me, I would have loved, I'm just sitting here thinking, wouldn't you have loved to have a recording of that conversation that you could play for yeah. people to say, this is what you're, and, and it's it's not it's not about their safety. It's about no. they're involved in it in the control mechanism too, because these are the same companies that were supporting LGBTQ stuff, uh, you know, along with other companies out there. And then we we see this corporate fascism working, where yeah. if government can't Im implement it, the corporate fascists will. Uh, yeah. They'll they'll it push those things in. So yeah, can you elaborate a little on that, and then how this is beginning, how this is affecting the pilots now, to the point where we're seeing. We've seen a ton of crashes of single engine uh, planes, but we've also seen yeah. all these diversions. Uh, one was coming from, I think the one I did yesterday was coming from Guatemala. It was a United Airlines coming from Guatemala to Chicago had to divert to Houston because mm -hmm. the pilot was incapacitated too, and he was put in the hospital. So yeah, can you right. elaborate a little bit on, on why, how do we get to that point? Well, you know, pilot incapacitation is something that uh, pilots are trained for. And we've always been trained for pilot incapacitation because we know that occasionally it can happen. And so it's usually done in the simulator environment and uh, they'll pull one of the pilots out of the seat and say to the other pilot, okay, you're your uh, your captain or your first officer has just gone incapacitated and so now they're going to throw an emergency at you they're going to give you a problem with the aircraft and they're also going to uh, give you a severe weather and see how you react to that problem and see if you can get the aircraft on the ground safely so yeah we are trained for it uh but what i've been saying and josh yoder has been saying this uh josh yoder was uh, the co-founder of usfreedomflyers.org and what we've been saying now since this whole nonsense started is we could run into a problem where uh, both pilots are going to be incapacitated at the same time now why did we say that we said that because we know for sure that one of the adverse effects of special interest of all of these shots, all of them, is myocarditis. And we know that myocarditis in about half of the time, half of the cases is completely subclinical. The person has absolutely no idea that this is going on in their body. And what's so dangerous about that is myocarditis can lead to sudden heart failure with no pre-warning, no symptoms whatsoever. 
And this actually happened to uh, Captain uh, Bob Snow, Captain Robert Snow, who landed a uh, an Airbus, which is the aircraft that I used to fly. He landed an Airbus uh, in Dallas uh, with about 200 passengers on it. And literally six minutes after the wheels were on the runway, he was at the gate packing his uh, his flight case for the next flight and lost consciousness in the cockpit, passed out cold. He had complete heart failure. And they were able to drag him out onto the jetway. And luckily, there was uh, an EMT crew uh, very nearby that was dealing with some other kind of emergency. And they were able to uh, use the, uh, the AED, uh, the fibrillator device, and get his heart restarted. And off to the hospital he went. So he was able to survive that. And we've had a couple of other close calls. We had one in uh, Chicago. Uh, it was an envoy flight that was headed out of Chicago O'Hare to Columbus, Ohio. And literally 90 seconds after takeoff, uh, the acting captain, who was actually just in training to become a captain, uh, lost consciousness uh, at the controls. And the, uh, the first officer, who was actually the training captain, uh, was able to quickly get the aircraft back on the ground. And so we've had that happen a number of times now. But that's a safety signal, okay? The FAA should be taking action on this immediately. Immediately. I'll give you a good example. The, the FAA is the safety watchdog, okay? They're supposed to guard the safety of the traveling public. Now, they can have two responses to uh, tragedies. Uh, one is, is called reactive. They, they'll wait for a, a tragedy to happen where there's you know, loss of life, and then they will change uh, regulations or they'll, they'll put something on the aircraft to prevent that from ever happening again. So a, a perfect example of that is uh, back in 1985, there was a Delta wide-body aircraft an L-1011 that was on final approach to the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. And it ran into uh, wind shear or a microburst and it slammed the aircraft into the ground short of the runway and almost 200 people died. So the FAA's reaction to that was, okay, we got to prevent that from ever happening again. And so we, we got to retrain all pilots uh, to be able to recognize uh, wind shear uh, conditions. Uh, so that they can avoid those areas. And we also have to put wind shear detection equipment around major airports. And we also have to put predictive wind shear equipment on the aircraft itself so that uh, we, we can prevent aircraft from flying into these, these conditions. And they did that. And it was successful. And we've never had a uh, major loss of life with a wind shear or a microburst condition ever since then. So that's a reactive approach. Now, they can also do a preventive approach. Now, a classic example of that is, is what is called an airworthiness directive program that the FAA already has in place. And how that works is, uh, for example, me mechanics are constantly inspecting aircraft routinely. If a mechanic finds a bushing that's worn out on an aircraft prematurely, for example, that gets entered into the logbook. And if this happens a couple of times, then the FAA is going to throw out what's called an airworthiness directive. It doesn't ground the fleet, 
okay? But it puts a time limit for the airline to inspect all of those bushings on all of the aircraft in that fleet and replace them. They replace them whether they're worn out or not. It's, it's, a, it's a preventive thing, you see. They replace a bad part with a better part, okay? And so this is completely transparent to the traveling public. It's happening all of the time, but it's for safety, you see. So there was a signal there that something could go wrong, and we want to prevent a disaster from happening. So what, what Josh Yoder and I are saying, and, we, and we've said this right from the start, you need to start screening pilots, flight attendants, mechanics, air traffic controllers, everyone who's involved in aviation safety right now, you need to start screening them to see if there could be subclinical myocarditis. This is not going to bring the airlines uh, to their knees. It's not going to you know, completely disrupt uh, aviation, but it's going to uh, allow pilots to get simple blood tests uh, like a D-dimer test to check for microclotting and a troponin level check to test for possible heart damage. And if those pilots have those conditions, it's not going to ground the pilot immediately, but it's a, it's a signal, you see. It's an indication that we need to look a little deeper. Well, Kevin, uh, let, me, let, me, let me interject here and, and ask a question because uh, you, you mentioned the F, F, FAA, and they've had pretty mm -hmm. high standards for, for pilots and such. Right. This was something we had out. This was out of January this year, effects of the COVID shot. FAA quietly admits pilots' EKGs are not normal. So they right. <clears throat> they at least admit it here, but they there's no doubt in my mind they've known it before. But check this out. If we go down a little further, we also wrote in May of last year that the FAA and more than a dozen airlines, along with the Department of Transportation, were to be sued over these mandates. And we know they're serious about things because they were out front talking about 5G frequencies and how yeah. they may interact with you know the controls of the, the airplane so so it seems to me they've been more vocal in my opinion over 5g because there was a whole bunch of stuff that came out was it the beginning of last year i think it was mm -hmm. um where they just made a big stink about that but you've hardly heard anything about this except that they've dropped their standards can you tell people a little bit about how what did they do with the standards of the pilots with relation to myocarditis and their heart health yeah, so, you know, a pilot uh, has to get a, a physical every six months to have what's called a class one medical. So, you know, you, you have to have that medical certification go along with the pilot certificate in order for you to be in command of an aircraft. So every six months, we got to go in to uh, not just any doctor. It's, uh, it's a doctor that's uh, uh, an aviation medical examiner. And these have been sanctioned by the FAA to do tests on pilots. And so one of the tests that they're required to do, and it has to be done uh, every year, not every six months, but once a year, uh, once a pilot reaches a certain age, they have to have an EKG done. Now, an EKG is not going to pick up myocarditis, okay? It just picks up the electrical rhythm that's occurring in the heart. And it's just uh, a snapshot in time. It's just a few seconds. Will myocarditis affect that, though? Yes, it okay. can. Okay. It can. And so what the FAA did, 
was they they uh, they changed their aeromedical examiner guidance on what's called the PR interval on EKGs, and so I'm sure you've seen uh, you know pictures of an EKG chart, and it's got you know ups and downs on it, and where the electrical impulse starts is called the PR interval. And what that is, is the delay time from the signal uh, that goes through your heart from the, uh, the atrium uh, to the ventricle. It's, it's between two nodes in the heart that generate the electrical impulse, the SA node to the AV node. And so, you know, I know I'm getting technical here, but it's always been uh, established in the, in the literature that the maximum time for that to happen is 200 milliseconds or 0.2 seconds, right? But the FAA came out and said, all right, we're going to extend that PR interval out to 0.3. So, you know, here's, here's the problem with that. You can have an extension of the PR interval uh, normally in some pilots once they reach a certain age. It, it can extend out beyond uh, 0.2 seconds uh, as you get older. But in younger pilots, this, this shouldn't be happening, okay? It can happen if, if the pilot has what's called high vagal tone, and this has to do with uh, the condition of the vagus nerve which does have some control over uh, the rhythm of the heart. But high vagal tone is, is a judgment call based on uh, the medical examiner. If he looks at the pilot and says, okay, well, you, you look young and you look fit and you look healthy, so we're just going to say that it's high vagal tone, okay? Well, that, that worked in the past, but it's not going to work now. Because subclinical myocarditis can also be one of the factors that's hiding and can extend that PR interval. So by extending the PR interval, they, they haven't uh, said that we need to check deeper for a problem in the pilot. They're just going to say, okay, we're just going to extend it out. We're just going to let this pilot go and uh, issue the first class medical. But what we're saying is there could be subclinical myocarditis hiding behind that. And what's so dangerous about subclinical myocarditis? Again, it can result in sudden heart failure. Okay. We, we can't have two pilots in control of an aircraft that have subclinical myocarditis going on. That is extremely dangerous because if one pilot loses uh, consciousness or becomes incapacitated, and the other pilot, if they have the subclinical myocarditis going on, they could have an adrenaline rush, which calls for an increased heart rate. I was going to say. And, yeah. And so the one, got, the one could actually end up producing this, this, the second guy. Yeah. Flying. Yeah. It could, it could trigger uh, another heart failure event. And I mean, the, the signs are all there. It's called sudden adult death syndrome. Right, you've seen the 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 athletes dropping on on the field, and yep. we also know we also know now that that some of these younger people are dying in their sleep. Okay, and the reason that's happening is because as your body goes through the wake cycle, 
there is a, an adrenaline uh, rush that kicks in that, that calls for an increased heart rate, and that's part of the waking up process, you see. So if you've got subclinical myocarditis going on, your, car, your heart can't handle that, that adrenaline trigger. Interesting. Uh, I it, learned something it, new today. Yeah, so it, it, it pushes the heart into what's called uh, fibrillation, where the muscles are still contracting. They're just not contracting uniformly and squeezing the heart. The heart is basically sitting there twitching. And so you don't get the pumping of the blood. And if, if you don't rectify that situation, then obviously death will occur. So that's the sudden adult death syndrome that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, listen, we've, we've had a bunch of these um, plane crashes. We've had the ones where they, thank God, they do land safely. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we were talking about the other day, you know, on, on Sunday, I mentioned the British Airways pilot. They found him dead in his hotel before he was to take mm-hmm. one of those Airbuses. I don't know <clears throat> if you can tell about how many hundreds of people, because just on the slim ones that you fly, they're like almost 200 people. How many right. people go on an Airbus? Well, you know, there are different sizes of Airbuses. Uh, we, we have the narrow bodies and the wide bodies. Okay. When you get into the wide body aircraft, you're, you're talking up, you know, around 300 passengers. Okay. Uh, but, you know, the narrow bodies is anywhere from, you know, 150 to 200 passengers are, are what are flying domestically. This, this so, was the yeah, uh, A321. Yeah. So the A321, that was actually the aircraft that I retired off of. So okay. that's a, that's a 200 passenger aircraft. Does it got like thing. two levels and stuff? Is that what I've not been? No, on? no, that's just, uh, it's just it's a just big plane. Huh? Yeah. It's, it's long and it's narrow. Okay. And uh, it only has one aisle straight down the center of the aircraft. Wow. And when you talk about wide body aircraft, uh, now you're talking about two aisles uh, down, down the aircraft. Gotcha. So, yeah, you have more people sitting uh, uh, side by side across the width of the aircraft. And so, you know, people ask me all the time, is it still safe to fly? Well, the safest flying right now, uh, Tim, is international flying. Because uh, most most airlines in their contract have uh, the requirement for two uh, complete pilot crews to be aboard international flights. And that's because of the rest requirements. You know, these flights will be in the air for more than eight hours. So the maximum amount of time that a pilot can be uh, in command of an aircraft is, is eight hours. And so they're going to have two complete crews on that aircraft and the uh both crews are required to be in the cockpit during the critical phases of flight which are during the takeoff phase uh up to cruise altitude and also from the uh the top of descent uh or at least midway through uh, the descent all the way to the ground because those are critical phases of flight so you've got two complete crews in the cockpit uh there's a crew that's monitoring the crew that is actually in control of the aircraft. And this is all for safety reasons, you see. So that is the, the safest flying right now because the chances of all four pilots having a, you know, incapacitation is almost non-existent. But in domestic flying, you're only required to have two pilots at 
the controls, in control of the aircraft, only to the captain and the first officer. And so we've already talked about pilot incapacitation. Yeah, we're seeing that happen. It's happening more now than it, than it used to in the past. But again, pilots are trained for that. The other pilot is perfectly capable flying that aircraft from either seat and getting it back on the ground safely. Unless, like Josh and I have been saying, unless you've got both pilots with subclinical myocarditis. Now you've got a problem because if that second pilot has an incapacitation, now you're going to lose control of an aircraft. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's going to be loss of life. And yeah, and the I, FAA it needs to recognize that this could happen. And what we're saying is you need to start screening pilots now. Man. Sure. Right now. Yep. 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 Uh, you know, one of the things I want to talk to you about, I, I'm going to hold you over the show. So anybody who wants to pick up Sons of Liberty uh, media.com is where you can continue the rest of this with Kevin this morning. But, you know, Kevin, one of the things is, is that uh, men have been trusting another men. This is how we've gotten to the situation we're in, where it's even they'll deceive themselves or they'll be deceived. They'll deceive themselves and they'll try to deceive others. Like you were saying when you were telling everybody else, well, we know what you're saying is right, but you got to wear it anyway. Uh, it's not going to do anything. It's for the optics kind of thing. And, you right. know, the scripture speaks to that. And this is from Jeremiah chapter 17. It says, thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in man and makes flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt or in a salt land and not inhabited. But blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see uh, when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and she shall, and shall not be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. And then he goes on to talk about man's heart anyway, that is desperately wicked and it's it's sick and it, all that. And the point yeah. the point is is this: we have trusted in man far too long. When God said the life of the flesh is in the blood, and people want to stick stuff in our blood. But what I want to do when we come back on the other side of this is I want to ask you about some solutions. So if you'll hang on, we'll do that. I got about 20 seconds here. This is uh, this is Dr. Stillwagon's Rumble page, and we'll have this up in the archives. Also, you can find him at Dr. Kevin Stillwagon, that's drkevinstillwagon.substack.com. You can also uh, check out the other place that he's got this, odem, O-D-E-M dot cloud forward slash E-O forward slash IRH. All these links will be in the archive later on. And uh, you guys join us on the other side here, sonsoflibertymedia.com. Bradley be with you at three and Lord willing, we'll be back with you. Have your questions ready. We're going to open the phone line up for Lynn tomorrow, 6 a.m. Lord willing, see you. All right. want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And uh, Dr. Stillwagon, here's what I want to do. I don't want to keep you a, keep you a long time, but I, I want to hear what are some solutions that we can look towards here. Now, when you and I were talking yesterday, uh, one of the things I said was, it looks to me with this kind of situation, you would want to come in and kind of give sort of a crash course for all your flight attendants. Just some some basic yeah. things on how the plane functions, how to make it go up, how to make it go down, how to read an altimeter, whatever you got to do, and how to get in touch with somebody on the radio if you've got to do that. That seems like that's yeah. a good backup plan to me, and it wouldn't require... A tremendous cost to the airline to do it, I wouldn't think. Um, but 
that seems like that would be a really seemed seems like they should have been doing that all along. But what are some solutions yeah. that we can look at for this situation? Yeah, that that's a very very good idea uh, that you came up with there. And you know, I think at one time there was uh, a program at it was either at Delta Airlines or Northwest Airlines. I, I can't remember which. Uh, where they did have uh, flight attendants come into the cockpit during uh, simulator training uh, so that they could see, you know, how the aircraft operates. And, you know, with with the technology that we have on aircraft today, Tim, it is entirely possible for uh, a flight attendant uh, to get, you know, into the cockpit if both pilots have been incapacitated. Now, th this would have to be at altitude, you see. You couldn't do this during a critical phase of flight, but at altitude, uh, the flight attendant could actually get on the uh, emergency frequency and broadcast that they're having an emergency. And then you could have a pilot talk them through uh, what needs to be done to get that aircraft back on the ground safely. And this can be done just by, uh, you know, turning uh, switches uh, and knobs in the aircraft because it will be on autopilot and you have a direct interaction with the autopilot just by uh, turning these knobs and pushing buttons. You don't have to touch the flight controls. You don't have to fly the aircraft. Uh, you don't even have to touch the throttles. Uh, for example, if you just spin the dial that controls the airspeed, uh, <clears throat> the, the, uh, the engines are controlled digitally through computer systems. It's called a full authority digital engine control system. And so you just turn the knob that, that controls the airspeed. And so you would, you would slow the aircraft down. And <clears throat> there are safety mechanisms built into the aircraft where it won't go any slower uh, than a safe airspeed until you change the configuration of the aircraft. So... Uh, for example, uh, you know, the approach speed on an aircraft will probably be down around 140 to 150 knots, for example. So if you start slowing the aircraft, uh, it won't slow below about 210 knots until you start uh, extending the flaps. See, you have to change the configuration of the aircraft. So the uh, the flight attendant could be talked through all of this. Uh, just, you know, uh, setting what altitude you want the aircraft to descend to, uh, setting the airspeed, and changing the configuration of the aircraft, and it'll slow down to approach speed. And uh, as long as it intercepts a signal uh, that's coming from the runway, that aircraft will follow that signal all the way to the ground and land itself. So really all the flight attendant would have to do is uh, is turn those knobs, set set the speed, set the altitude, extend the flaps, extend the extend the gear. They don't they don't literally have to fly the aircraft onto the ground. The aircraft will do that itself. You see, so yeah, we we have that capability these days, and actually, it's been in place uh, since the 1990s. Okay, so that's that's a really good safety backup plan for sure. I okay. hope we never never get to that point, but. <laughs> Well, you know, yeah, but it's always good. It's always good to have that that backup, you know, in place yeah. because otherwise you're just kind of depending on these two guys who are up there in the cockpit. And if yeah. you've got this kind of health issue that's going on right now, 
Well, that yeah. that kind of eliminates that as sort of a backup plan. Uh, right. So so what can we do for the pilots? I mean, you know what? There's a there's a part that that I I feel. I feel some pity for some, and I feel no pity for others, uh, especially right. those who would mock, who would say, well, I'm going to do it because of my job, and they're just happy to see you go if you're going to leave or whatever the case may be because you take a stand on it. Uh, those guys I don't really have pity for, but some of these guys, they they don't know any better. They were like, uh, when I was a kid, you got all your shots. Then when you were like 12 or something, you got a booster, and these weren't anything like the shots are given now. Um, no. and, but I have allergies no. as a result of, at least that's what I'm told. I have allergies yeah. now because of it. These yeah. guys probably were the same way. Well, this is just part of the medical thing that we're supposed to do. They're not thinking anything spiritual about it. They're not thinking anything of health wise, as far as really, it's not going to affect me, you know, or anything like that. Then all of a sudden they're having these problems and things. Yeah. What can be done to protect these, the, the pilots? Uh, uh, I mean, if you're saying they bump it up for what, what did you call, um, um, it was a from point two to point three, yeah, millisecond. You're saying right. they they just bumped that up a millisecond so they don't have to really deal with it. That doesn't show any compassion for their their pilots, much less the people who are flying on their airline. Right. Yeah. So let, let let's talk about you know why this shot is so dangerous. And you brought up an interesting point. You know, the pilots were coerced into doing this. Uh, many pilots just willingly went out and did it, didn't think anything of it because, because they thought it was like a flu shot. Well, that's, that's not what this thing is. It's, it's highly, highly dangerous in the mechanism of, of how this shot works. And I'll, I'll talk about that um, in just a minute. But, you know, uh, pilots have a military mentality. You know, they're, they're going to do what they're told. A lot of them did come from the military, and they, they just follow orders, and they don't, they don't think anything about it. But, you know, guys like me uh, that know about physiology, know how the shot works, uh, we, we just weren't going to do it at all. And, you know, we, we tried to warn fellow pilots about this, but, you know, some listened and some, some didn't. So let, let's talk about the mechanism of how these shots work. I already mentioned that the goal of the shot is to create an antibody which circulates inside of your body and cannot protect uh, you from getting an infection and it can't stop it from spreading either. That's a fact. But how the antibody is created uh, is a big deal. With these traditional shots like a flu shot, what they do is they inject you with uh, part of the organism, the virus or the bacteria or whatever it is. They inject you with part of it and they can uh, control somewhat, <clears throat> you know, how much of that stuff goes in you, okay, based on how the shot was mixed. They, they pretty much know how much of that stuff is going in you. But with this shot, this mRNA technology shot, it's entirely different. They're using what's called a lipid nanoparticle, which is a vector to deliver what's called messenger RNA. Messenger RNA has the message to make the spike protein inside of your body. So the lipid nanoparticle is uh, made of normal body fats. It's cholesterol and DSPC. So when this stuff is injected into your body, uh, your body doesn't reject it. It willingly accepts it. It just starts floating around in your bloodstream and in your lymphatic system. And so since it's made of normal body fats, 
any cell that it uh, comes in contact with, virtually any cell at all, doesn't matter, uh, it'll merge with the cell membrane of that cell and it will allow that message to make the protein to get into the cell. But, you know, a normal infection doesn't work that way. Uh, a normal infection requires specialized receptors on cells in order for that genetic information to get inside of the cell. Uh, but this lipid nanoparticle isn't looking for receptors. It doesn't care what the cell is. It goes everywhere. It crosses the blood-brain barrier, and I mean literally any cell. Blood cells, uh, it doesn't matter. It merges with them. The message to make the spike protein goes into the cell, and now the cell uh, starts to make the spike protein. And the spike protein is... Uh, uh, you know, secreted from the cell and it starts to now circulate in your blood and in your lymph. And that's what your immune system is going to react to. See, that's what it's going to create the antibody against. But you have no idea how many of these spike proteins you're going to make. It's dependent upon several factors. One of them is the uh, pH or the acidity level in your cell. Uh, we know that the more acidic the cell is, the more likely it is to make more spike proteins. And so some people are just going to make a lot more spike proteins than other people. And so you cannot control how many of these spike proteins you're going to get. You, you just can't control it. There's no idea how many you're going to make, nor is there an off switch for this stuff. You know, that messenger RNA that, that they put in you, is a, is a man-made product, and they're putting uh, what's called a pseudouridine uh, in the genetic sequence, which is not natural. And so, you know, normally when, you're, when your body uses messenger RNA uh, to make a protein, and, you know, your cells are doing this all the time. That's how they make proteins. They use uh, natural messenger RNA that comes out of your nucleus, and there's a message there to make a protein, and it makes the protein. That's how your body works. But this stuff is man-made. And, you know, normal messenger RNA, once it makes a protein, it degenerates. There's an enzyme in your cells. It's called uh, RNase. And it'll degenerate that messenger RNA back to its original form so that it can be used over again. But that doesn't happen with this shot. See, it's, it's man-made. They designed it so that it will last and it will keep making the spike protein. And we have indications now that, you know, after people got injected with this stuff, literally months after they got injected, it's still there. And it's still cranking yeah. out spike proteins. That's dangerous, man. This spike protein is toxic. Yeah. They, they one of the things they should have thought this through. They should have thought it through. Yeah. One they of the didn't. things that we talked about with Mark Grannon, he's uh, one of the guys who was uh, <laughs> him and his sons were arrested by uh, the Colombian government at the behest of our government uh, who paid them like a quarter million dollars to arrest them and then pay was paying $10,000 to keep them up till they brought them up here uh, all because they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to people and they used chlorine dioxide to help their bodies get in a state where they could heal themselves, which is right. again, one of the fascinating things that, that scripture tells us. And we know it even in our limited knowledge that we have here and now is that, uh, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There was, we have a creator who is incredible and beyond our comprehension who has made 
this body, which is astounding in what it does as well. And so right. when these guys are talking about hacking, they're talking about un really undermining what the creator has done. And the, you know, the sad reality is this, Kevin, they know they're doing that. I mean, we've, we, you know, I got something taken off Facebook the other day. I thought they were pretty much done with this stuff, but maybe not. Uh, where I just simply said, we know, no, it was on YouTube. A little short. We know why they wanted Pfizer and the FDA wanted to hide the Pfizer uh, data for 75 years. And the judge said, no, you got eight months. Well, the first batch of documents came out and showed they knew it was killing people. They knew it was injuring yeah. people and they did nothing to stop it. And they released it on the yeah. world in an experiment. I mean, you talk about uh, violations of law uh, yeah. that uh, to do that, the Nuremberg Code mm -hmm. specifically. So with these things, I don't know how we can get these guys to move. It seems to me that they're in a CYA mode as far as they're trying to find anything that they can point to. We were seeing stories come out last year, I think it was in the summer, where people were dying suddenly uh, or they had heart failure due to, oh, climate change or you stood yeah. outside too long or you took too long a walk or you're in the gym too. And they're trying to leave. And, and I got to think people have to notice younger and younger people, even kids having heart attacks. And I, I don't think I've heard of one of that, a, a, a minor, let me put it that way, a teenager having a heart attack yeah. years ago. <laughs> Otherwise, that is just not a common thing that happens. No, it's not. Let me let me give you the mechanism. One of the okay. mechanisms for why this is happening. Okay, I, I want people to understand why we see that it's happening. We we can see that, but why is it happening? Let's get back to the mechanism how, of how this shot works. It's a lipid nanoparticle. Okay, it carries the message to make the spike protein. And when that gets into your cells, the spike protein is made and it starts floating through your body. Now, the immune system reaction to that is to build an antibody. That's what your immune system is supposed to do. And it does that, does that quite well. But it's the memory to be able to remake those antibodies that is so important, not the numbers of the antibodies that are floating around. It's normal for those levels of antibodies to drop over time. Perfectly normal. If we kept an, every antibody that we ever made uh, circulating in our blood, it would be sludge. It would be too thick to pump. So it's the memory that's important. And so now what's happening is we have these complete idiots like Fauci that come out and say, oh, look, your antibody levels have dropped. We need to get those back up. We need to pump those levels back up again so that you can have some protection. That is the most dangerous thing that you could ever do. And here's why. When you go in and you get that booster shot or whatever they want to call it, what's in it? More lipid nanoparticles. Can your body see those and reject them? No. It willingly accepts those, just like it did before. And what are those lipid nanoparticles going to do? Just what they did before. They're going to circulate in your blood. They're going to bump up against cells. They're going to merge with the cells. They're going to release the message to make that spike protein, just like they did before. And your immune system doesn't know this is going on. It can't see it. 
So now your cells start cranking out more spike proteins, literally by the billions, potentially by the billions, depending upon you know what what your what your cell pH is. So now your immune system can see them. It couldn't see them before because the message to make them was hidden. It was hidden inside of those lipid nanoparticles. So now you've got billions of spike proteins circulating in your in your body again. But your immune system already dealt with that spike protein. See, it already built antibodies against it, and it had the memory to quickly remake antibodies so that the spike proteins should not be there in these numbers, you see. That's what an antibody is supposed to do. We talked about that. The antibody is there to block and stop this from happening, but yep. it can't. It can't because the message to make the spike protein was hidden. So now what have you done? You have overloaded your immune system with billions of spike proteins that shouldn't be there now because you had the memory. You already built the antibody. So now your immune system overreacts. It's got this heavy artillery uh, side of the immune system uh, that deals with chronic infections like this, the things that are hard to get rid of. It's called the complement cascade. What's that? Well, you've got 15 quintillion proteins of various varieties that you were born with. It was God-given. They're circulating in your, in your bodily fluids at all times. And it's there as the heavy artillery to take care of a problem like this. And what it does is it starts what's called a cascade of proteins changing their configurations. And it uh, activates what's called the memory attack, or not the memory, but the membrane, membrane attack complex, where it will go after all of the cells in your body that are making spike proteins or has the spike protein attached. And it goes after them in a very aggressive way. It is hyper-inflammatory. It causes a lot of swelling. It brings in more white blood cells. And it causes a lot of collateral damage. And by collateral damage, I mean it destroys normal cells that are around those areas. You get significant amount of tissue damage. And the manufacturers of these shots knew that this could happen. It was listed as one of their uh, adverse events of special interest, and they gave it a name. It was called multi-inflammatory syndrome, and it had letters M-I-S-C or M-I-S-A, multi-inflammatory uh, syndrome in children was the C and multi-inflammatory syndrome in adults, which is A. They knew that this could happen. And it's deadly because it's going to affect uh, all tissue levels of your body, any organ at all. This is, this is terrible, and it can result in death. Now, it can also be localized. If it happens specifically in the heart, the muscles of the heart, that's called myocarditis you see. And the myocarditis is not happening after the first shot. 
It's happening after booster shots. We know this. We know this is happening. Everybody can look at the charts and see that the incidence of myocarditis is escalating after booster shots. And that is one of the reasons why. It's activating what's called that complement cascade system. It's the heavy artillery of your immune system. This is one of the reasons why the myocarditis is happening. So don't ever get a booster shot. Yeah, well, don't get the first ones. You don't, don't have to worry get, about the boosters. Yeah, <laughs> don't get the first ones there. Oh my goodness. Okay, let's let's have a final word here because again, you know, with all this going on, especially among the pilots. Now, you're talking in things of, of the general public as well. They I mean, they've been taking these shots, they've been taking the boosters yeah. and things as well. But as far as the pilots, it, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would you say, apart from somebody really getting in here and doing something to prevent it, should we expect a major airline catastrophe somewhere in our near future? There are definitely signs and indications right now that this could happen. And that's what we're trying to prevent. All we're saying is, look, not every pilot that got these shots even a booster shot. Not every pilot is going to get myocarditis, subclinical myocarditis, but a certain percentage of them will. I have no idea what that percentage is going to be. I do know that they looked for this uh, across 13 universities. This was done at the end of the December of 2021 uh, after a year of the shot had rolled out and all of these uh, athletes in these universities were mandated to get the shot and they decided to look for myocarditis and they did find it in about two and a half percent of those that were tested. Okay. So that's kind of a, a baseline number to think about. Maybe it's about two and a half percent to three percent of pilots that they got the shot that could be flying around with subclinical myocarditis. The danger is having two pilots at the controls that are having subclinical myocarditis. How are you going to know if that's happening? The only way to know is to start screening pilots now. We have to look. We have to start doing some simple blood tests just to say, okay, there's an indication that something might be wrong here. Let's look a little deeper. And we need to prevent two pilots that have subclinical myocarditis from being in, in control of an aircraft at the same time. That's going to prevent a disaster. That's all I'm saying. Let's okay. be proactive. Let's yep. try to prevent a disaster. Yep. Kevin, I got two questions here. The, uh, the first one, let me take them backwards here. The first one is the stuff you were talking about a minute ago. I think um, the, the buildup of the spike proteins and all this. How long does it take for this to happen post-injection? Is that almost instantly once it's injected or does it take? Uh, I really don't know the numbers on that. Okay. Um, I, I can tell you that uh, to make an antibody takes sometimes up to two weeks. But as far as I know, the production of spike protein starts happening uh, pretty fast. It's, okay. uh, it's, it's, it's within a few hours. Uh, you, you'll start getting spike proteins produced by the cells. And I believe that there's uh, been some, some uh, you know, research that's been done on that. So, yeah, it, it happens pretty quickly. Okay. And the other question is, do you ever talk about transference or what some people have called shedding, which I think Dr. Tenpenny has said this this would not be shedding because it's mRNA, so it's it's a transmission. 
Uh, do you right. ever talk about any of that? And is there really validity to that here? Because I know I've heard of some people who've said, hey, I haven't had the shot, but boy, I get around people who've had the shot and I'll break out in a rash or I'll have yeah. some kind of dizziness or something like that. Any any idea? And is there? And, and this is the other part. I know in the old style vaccines, they used to warn about shedding. Um, right. But in the new ones, is there any evidence that it's actually happening? Not just, I think it was that. Is there evidence? Have they tracked the stuff that's supposed to come from the one person going into the other? Is Is there any evidence of any of that? Yeah, they're starting to look at that right now. What really needs to be done uh, is an in-depth study where you take a person that has uh, not been vaccinated um, and look to see if they've got any spike proteins that are circulating in their bloodstream. Um, if that's evident, then yeah, we know for sure that this phenomenon that they're called shedding is, is happening. And you should also look for uh, the messenger RNA to see if that's in the bloodstream. Uh, because if that's in there, then it's, uh, then it's the lipid nanoparticle itself that could be spreading uh, between people. And, you know, when, when Pfizer and Moderna first started uh, the trials on these things, everybody that was involved in the trial uh, was told to, uh, you know, stay away from uh, women that were pregnant. Um, because there could be some right. kind of a transmission going on. Yeah. So I actually wrote a substack about this, uh, about the shedding phenomenon. And you're absolutely right, Tim. Classical shedding is the shedding of the, of the real virus particle. And we know for sure that that's happening. That's already established. That's in the literature. Uh, people that, that get this shot, uh, it makes it easier for cells to get infected. And it makes it easier uh, for the replication of the virus genetic material to happen and uh, more of it's happening and we we've we've seen that we've measured it we we've shown that people that they get the shot actually have more of this genetic material that's in their airway and there's and they're spreading it to other people it's going back out into the atmosphere incredible and yeah we, but then now let me let, yeah let me let me let me just ask some questions again i'm not a doctor don't play one on tv didn't spend a night in the holiday and express but you know, I've learned a lot over the past couple of years that to me, this is kind of a silver lining that I've learned a lot of stuff from doctors and nurses right. we've had on the show. But if you, in order for them to get the stuff in the body, they have to inject it. Right. And my understanding is just because you breathe something in or just because you eat something, it goes into the body a whole different way. And the again, right. going back to the creator, Yahweh, he has made our our bodies in such a fashion that they can break down a lot of things. We might get a little bit toxic, a little sick, if you want to say, uh, from some things, but the body knows how to deal with it. So my question right. is, is, if they're having to get that stuff into you through an injection, what's the real danger if it's just in the air? Well, it, it's only susceptible people okay. that are going okay. to have a problem. With this. Yeah, like and if they have a low immune system or something like that? Right. Gotcha. Right. We know that. And I mean, a, a classic example is streptococcus bacteria. 99% of us, even more, 99.9% .9 of us is the estimate. We have streptococcus bacteria in our throat all the time. Why aren't we running around with strep throat? Because our immune system is keeping us in harmony with it, you see. 
So that, that's a common misconception. Everybody thinks that health is the absence of symptoms. No, health is not the absence of symptoms. Health is your body being in homeostasis with the environment. What's in the environment? Bacteria, viruses. In fact, you have 380 trillion uh, viruses on you and in you right now. 380 trillion, 40 trillion bacteria on you and in you right now. It's estimated that you'll breathe about 100 million various viruses every single day, whether you are wearing a mask or not. And so mm. why are we not sick all the time? Well, you nailed it. It's the condition of your immune system. It's the ability of your immune system to keep you in harmony with your environment. Yeah, See? yeah, yeah. I And I see it, and I see how it works in God's economy, too. He tells us to stay away from certain things, not to have certain behaviors uh, and such. And I can see when we do that, we are, in some cases, lowering immunity, um, and mm -hmm. making ourselves susceptible to the effects right. of those things that seem like uh, they should be killing us all around us, but somehow the Lord is keeping that away from us. He's restraining those things from us. Kevin, what I want to do is I want to give you the final word, final word of exhortation to the audience. And if in the process, when you're giving that word, tell people where they can find out about you, your Rumble channel, your Substack, and, and your other site. Yeah, so, you know, the way that they got away with this, Tim, is, is by spreading fear, unsubstantiated, propagated fear. That's how they control you. So in order to, you know, fight back, you have to have what's called noncompliance. You have to have the ability to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to wear the mask. No, I'm not going to take the shot. But in order to have that courage, you've got to have some understanding of how your immune system actually works, how your God-given immune system was designed to prevent you from becoming infected by anything, including these man-made bioweapons. There's no need to fear these things because you have the mechanism on and in your epithelial barrier to prevent you from being infected. See, and so when people are afraid and they don't understand how that works, then they are apt to make a terrible mistake of going out and injecting the very thing that is causing the problem. They're injecting it directly into your into their bloodstream, yep. thinking that somehow it's going to give them some protection. No. That's not how this works. The protection is not in the antibodies. The protection is cellular. It is cellular. You were born with it. It's your God-given innate immune system. And I talk about how that works uh, at odem.cloud. You just remember odem, O-D-E-M.cloud, like the cloud that you fly through. Uh, and you go there and just type in the word immunity and you'll be able to find the, uh, my course on the immune system. And uh, I go through it in depth and explain how it actually works. And believe me, when you're done with this course, you will know more uh, than most doctors that are out there because they don't they don't study the immune system uh, the way the way that I present it to you. They, they just don't. They don't get that training. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, one, uh, our friend D, 
who is over in Portugal, she's now teaching people that after overcoming breast cancer and a large part of her was in um, cannabis uh, mm-hmm. and then going back to eating herbs and, and such. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it, again, it's what we're putting into our body that's making us sick. And you just said it, man, the people think they're getting a protection. And all I can think of is, uh, you know, the serpent in the garden to Eden going, well, did God say, did he really say that? Did he really say you have a, you know, a strong, you're fearfully, and wonderfully made, and you've got a body yeah. that can fight these things off. And it's designed for that kind of thing, because God knew the kind of world you were going to live in. And that's exactly what I hear. And instead of them receiving protection, they re- they're, they're poisoning themselves. Right. They're poisoning. Yeah. Themselves. What, what we should be doing is, uh, is building up our immune systems. Uh, we, we, we know that many people come in contact with uh, these viruses or whatever you want to call them, toxins, bacteria. Many people come in contact with these things all the time and they never get sick. So let's try to make most of us look like that group of people, right? Let's not be yeah. running around injecting healthy people with something that can hurt them. Uh, <laughs> it just doesn't make logical sense to me. Let's, yeah, a lot, a lot. Well, a lot of the pharmaceuticals don't make sense. You know, the scripture talks yeah. about uh, the nations are deceived. Revelation eighteen twenty three by their sorceries, their pharmacias. Um, yeah, and and so a, a lot of the pharmaceuticals don't make sense. Now, I recently had to go and have some. What was it? A moxicillin or something? An antibiotic because I had this thing with my ear. But yeah. I, st- the lady goes, well, when's the last time you, I don't know. I try to stay away from you people as much as I can. And I, yeah. I don't take medicine. I just don't take them. Um, but at the same time, there's, there's a place where, you know, I think we should look after our health. Uh, as a friend of mine has said, he runs a uh, health for all of life. He's a truck driver, by the way, but, uh, he wrote, a, had a book written on it as well. But, you know, he said, if you're sick, you're kind of out of the fight of doing what you're supposed to do. Now I realize God can right. use sickness. Um, when my ear was going on last week, uh, my youngest boy came in there and he prayed with me and he goes, daddy, why does God let you get sick? I said, well, sometimes he does it to teach us. We're not him. Sometimes he's teaching us another lesson. Sometimes he's pointing his finger on our sin. He wants us to repent of whatever the case may be. And he goes, well, I sure hope you learned the lesson really quick and get better, you know? And yeah. I think that's precious that the little kids, they, they get it. They, they, they get mm-hmm. those things. But uh, we're supposed yeah. to do that. Kevin, tell people where they can uh, find out more about you. And if you'll hang on, I'll say goodbye to you off air. Okay. And so uh, I've got a Rumble channel. It's rumble.com uh, forward slash Kevin Stillwagon. I've also got a Substack, uh, substack.com And uh, I really go over a lot of uh, things in detail on my Substack, uh, including the, the book that I wrote back in 1984. I've actually republished it on Substack chapter by chapter. The chapters are short, easy to read. And so you can read the whole thing there uh, for free. My Substack channel is free. And then, uh, of course, the immune system course that I taught, a four-module course, uh, that's not free. Uh, but, you know, you're free to take it, uh, watch it at your convenience. It's always going to be there. Um, so, yeah, those are those are the best ways to uh, to follow what I'm doing right now. Okay. All right. Dr. Kevin Stillwagon, thank you so much for joining us and spending a little bit of overtime. Hang on. I'll say goodbye to you off air. Guys, catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And don't forget, tomorrow is Lynn's last day with us. It's the last Rotten of the Gore Wednesday show. We, we've been doing this for like five years together, Lynn and I, and uh, she's 
just got so much she's doing on her own. She's taking that over. But remember, you I'm going to turn on my Google Voice. I never turned that on. Uh, so I'm going to turn that on. If you guys have a comment for Lynn, if you got a question, that's the time to do it. Feel free to call in. Now, the phone line might get busy because I think it only allows one at a time. I won't know who's calling or whatever, uh, but we'll bring you up as soon as we can. So if you got questions, if you got a comment, maybe you want to say thank you, Lynn, for all the information you've given us to do battle out there uh, with the Fed Ed. Uh, then tomorrow is your day to do it, okay? It's the last time she's going to be with us, at least on a regular basis. I'm sure we'll have her back to pop in uh, should something else come up. But catch Bradley at 3, and then we'll see you in the morning, bright and early, 6 a.m. Lord willing, talk to you then.